0: With us today is Bawa Jain, and if I gave you the full bio of Bawa, it would take the rest of this episode. So he's the Secretary General of the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders that opened at the United Nations in August 2000. He's a visionary leader in the interfaith movement throughout the world. He uh, serves as the trustee of the Council of the Parliament of World Religions. He was its vice chair. Uh, He's active in the United Religions Initiatives. He convened the Indo-Pakistani Dialogue Forum in the late 80s. He's been a counsel to governmental business and religious organizations on deeper involvement in interfaith activities and global activities. Uh, he's a Jain, and he can tell us what that means in, in a moment, but it's very much about nonviolence. And he's a man who's really devoted his life and worked to help leaders become the kinds of leaders who promote nonviolence and the relationships uh, friendly and productive relationships between people. So I think he has a lot to teach us. And Bawa, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast.
1: Thank you, thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Just as a, you know, if I may just add to my current titles or my positions, you know, I tell them title, position, these are just really to facilitate what our basic commitment is to transform the world. And I serve as the founding secretary of the World Council of Religious Leaders which was a direct outcome of the Millennium World Peace Summit of the United Nations. And recently now, you know, I've launched and I serve as the founder and president of the Center for Responsible Leadership.
0: Great. Thank you for adding that. And I want to talk a lot about what you mean by responsible leadership and also what the Center for Responsible Leadership is doing. Let's start with that question, actually. How do you define responsible leadership? What is responsible leadership?
1: You know, uh, Let me begin by. I think, in my opinion, the fundamental responsibility of every leader has to be to measure themselves for themselves through a lens of being responsible or being perceived to be responsible. What do I mean by that? Let me just, uh, you know, qualify that first by saying that there is not one universally accepted definition for responsible leadership. So, rather, what I came up with through my consultations and engagement with people at the highest level, whether they be from politics or business or religion or civic or celebrities, even army people. And what I came up with, is I asked three questions. Number one, do you make decisions based on the present or the future? Number two, do you make decisions based on conviction or convenience? And number three, to qualify and measure that is, are those decisions constructive or destructive? You answer these for yourself. The center is created not to judge anybody, but rather to raise the question to see for yourself. Gandhi famously said, be the change you wish to see. So let's, let's unpack those three things. So are
0: you making decisions um, based on the present or the future? Now, I would think it's really useful to make decisions based both on the present and the future. Are you saying that you, it's better to make decisions based on one versus the other?
1: No. You know, you, there is a little bit more on our website, www.dcrl.org. This has just been launched and it's, been, it's unfolding. It will be dated, updated constantly. Uh, what I mean by that in answer to your question you certainly have to keep your eye in the moment, absolutely, but ultimately the decision you're making, is it going to impact positively the future or is it only for the present moment what is convenient and you make the decision based on the present. Right. So think for yourself, You know, just look at the issues of the uh, environment and the climate control. Look at just right now, right? Look at the temperatures all across North America, Frigid, crazy Arctic freeze going on. Some areas are minus 50 and minus 30 and minus 20. Those are Arctic temperatures which we're facing. Yet people deny that climate area today. But think of the consequences for the future. What it will mean for our children and children children. If we continue down this pattern or not addressing what needs to urgently be corrected in the way we conduct ourselves, we are going to be in some difficult times. Right,
0: that makes a lot of sense. So I, I would the way I would think about it is, You've got three elements of, of time, right? You've got past, present, and future. Absolutely. Uh, and making decisions based on the past is, 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 it can be somewhat dangerous because you're buying into maybe old stories and old habits and old aggressions or old issues. Um, and I feel like it's challenging, right? Because we would like to be informed by the past. I mean, you're, you, you have a strong faith and, and the stories of the faith, I mean, I, I, I you know, am Jewish and, and, and have faith and, and the stories of that faith, which come from the past, inform my present and my future. So there, it feels like there's a conversation and it's true for leaders and organizations that I could come in and want to change an organization, but unless I respect where the organization has come from. In the past, it's very, very hard for me to lead people into a future. It's very hard to go into an organization and say forget about the past, ignore the present, we're going to really focus on what we're going towards. And I think there's a disconnect for people that makes that harder. Is there a way that you've learned that you could help people focus more on the future than they do on the past or maybe even the present?
1: You you said it very wisely. The past forms our body of experience and knowledge. Our faith is a primary form of identity. It gives us the fundamental knowledge based on the ancient scriptures. And by the way, if you see the scriptures of any of the great religions, every one of them teaches a path of being responsible, of loving and caring, of nurturing, of respect. They don't teach us to divide and kill and hate. They don't. Okay, just let me get that straight. So the past must inform us and help us build our experience. We cannot just ignore and just say, make decisions in isolation based on today or the current situation. And, and be reactive to just to the current things. You know, like many times, just take the elected officials. If their only motive, sole motive is to see that they get reelected and they con- continue to make decisions based on that, where is it going to lead us? Look today, look in our capital train, the Congress. Have you seen the nation so divided ever before in history? So this is the, so 100% I agree with you.
0: And, and this becomes what's really hard. This becomes really hard. What we know from human nature is we have a much harder time seeing ourselves in the future. So we are constantly making poor decisions in the present in, in, that, that satisfy us immediately in the present. Think about eating. Like why do I overeat? Is because what I want to eat in the moment it's different than what I want to have eaten, right, afterwards. And so people prioritize their current needs. It's why people don't save enough. It's why people aren't, you know, people prioritize their current needs over their projected future needs. So what you're saying makes tremendous sense. We would all look at Washington and say those, those elected officials who are more worried about their current popularity in the next election than they are about the survival of our republic or the strength of, you know, of our of our country. Um, Those they're not responsible leaders. But how do you convince someone when we all recognize in ourselves the the tendency to prioritize our current needs over our future needs? How do we help someone become a responsible leader in a way of prioritizing a future that might make them uncomfortable in the present?
1: You know, for me, for, as a Jain, first of all is, remember, we believe in the philosophy of karma, okay? And that means what you do now or do not know, do is going to directly or indirectly impact your future. What we are in the moment now is based on a karma of the past. Or what we did before or did not do before so just realize it from that point, for me personally
0: right so there so what you're saying is for you in your faith the link between past present and future is very clear and irreplaceable meaning you can't break it's, it's unbreakable you can't break the link between past present and future it's tied into one into one rope
1: Absolutely. in isolation, you cannot put one, one in isolation. In isolation. And like the Jewish faith, as you mentioned that you are a Jewish person, following the Jewish faith, Jain also is a very old tradition. Recorded versions of Jain scriptures go back to 6,000 plus years. Okay. So this has withstood the test of time. And they are simple principles following a path of nonviolence in your thinking, in your speech, in your action. Right. Okay? Do unto others, you would have them do unto them. Love, yeah. Love thy neighbor as yourself same things which are across every religion right yet what do we choose to live okay now going by the people as you how do we convince the people history will judge you based on what you did and for that i give one example i said just imagine imagine if today is the last day of your life you're not going to be alive tomorrow think of what you want to be most remembered for and then reflect are you happy and satisfied with the way people might perceive you or judge you if not, go do something. Change the way you conduct yourself. Right. For, answer for yourself. I'm not here at, at any moment to try and judge. I will remind you. I will make you aware. And then you be the judge to see how you want to remember. No matter how many billions of dollars you might accumul- accumulate here on the planet. When it's time for us to go and you go, nothing of that is going to go with you.
0: So maybe there's a way of... Of bringing that into the present, which is to think or imagine or visualize or meditate on, you know, as you're making decisions to bring yourself to that moment of your deathbed or to bring yourself at the moment when, you know, you only have a year left to live and to to settle in that in a moment and say, if I really only had a year left to live, if I only had a year left to live, what decision would I make now? And then and then make that decision when you feel closer to your legacy as opposed to, you know, closer to the present and not thinking about the legacy.
1: You know where my motivation for this comes from, where it comes from Alfred Nobel. If you remember one day, Alfred Nobel woke up. This is long before he created the Nobel Peace Prize and the Nobel Prizes. He woke up and by mistake, somebody had printed his obituary and he was aghast at reading what people would be remembering for guns and the weapons and everything. What he did after that? Today, what do we remember Alfred Nobel for? Right. The prize, the peace prize. Absolutely. The highest that uh, aspiration, what one wishes to achieve. Right. Right. So there is a moment you can transform. Which so arguably he never could have made happen unless he spent
0: a lot of his life trying to make a lot of money.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. He made good money. I, I, I'm all for that. I, I mean, as you know from our communities, you know, we are... We are both very wealthy communities, well-off communities. And God bless, why not? There is no harm in making money. Right. But then the question is, what are you going to do with money? Right. And to me, the great, two great inspirations for this are Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Right. Let's look at those people. In terms of you're measuring responsible leadership. I remember one of Warren Buffett's uh, interviews where he says that, you know, I had made all this money. I was thinking where to put it. My wife and me had always decided that I wanted to make money, but then put it to good use. And when I saw that already Bill Gates is doing it, I don't need to go and do it. I said, rather let him handle the money. Right. Look at that. It it changed the notion of the way we conduct our lives.
0: Right. It was an amazing moment. Okay, let's go to that second principle. What was the second principle?
1: Making decisions out of conviction, not convenience. Okay.
0: So that's actually very, very similar to the, you know, focus on the future and not, not too much on its current impact on you. And I guess it's the same issue, right? It's, it's. It, convenience is convenient, right? And so, so no, it's, again,
1: go back to Washington today. The decisions that are being made. Everybody with a basic amount of common sense knows what is the truth, what is reality, or not. Right. And yet, what are the what is the decision making process from the people who are our elected leaders? Right. And by the way, this is the most powerful country in the world. There is no better country than America, in my opinion. I would rather not be anywhere else but in this country. this right. is great. Right. But the way we are conducting ourselves today is not doing our forefathers or our founding fathers any good. They must be squirming in their graves as to the way we are conducting ourselves, the way American leadership is perceived on the world today. How can you lie in the face of people in the lens and think that people, can, people are stupid? They're not.
0: Right. And so in a, in, a, in a sense,
1: we have to
0: be so clear on our conviction that it outweighs the temptation of our convenience
1: you know, there will always be temptations you know from times immemorial, even you go to biblical times there is always the stories of satan and the devil right. and the angel you know there are always temptations how do you conduct yourself for me it comes back to my karma right the decision i make now is going to impact my future right and yet it's hard right
0: it's hard, you know, if it weren't so hard, we would have more leaders who were more responsible.
1: And for me, what are my, my basic thing? The center is created with a vision which is long-term. We want to see the difference that we are envisioning in this kind of process, maybe in a generation two or three. Right. That by the time we have sown the right seeds, the foundations are strong, Then one day will come when this is just in our DNA. Everybody right. will conduct themselves that way. That's what we are envisioning for. So we have a very small goal. All we seek to do is transform the world. So your third principle is to take actions that are constructive
0: and not destructive. Am I remembering that right? Absolutely. Okay. So um, I want to kind of play for a moment with the complexity of that because, you know, every constructive action, you know, in fact, I forget who it was. I think it was um, Rilke who said, um, creation, creating anything new, is an act of destruction, and that and that actually const- to, to be constructive is also in many ways destructive, right? We're we're you know if we're gonna if we're gonna create new things, we're gonna destroy old things in many ways, and yet you you also really talk about you know building a new world without destroying the old world. Everything you do is rooted in faith, which is you know millennia old. And so how do we balance the constructive and the destructive?
1: Uh, again, you have to always be, no, nothing is an easy decision. It is a way we choose to live. It, one is, that means always ref, being reflective and analyzing that in the overall scheme of things, what in the long run will be most constructive, okay? I, I take, uh, you know, where this question arose from is based on when I was talking to some people, they said to your question of whether the decision making is present or future, people who are the ISIS or the Daesh, they think that it is based on their future, not their present. Right. Second is uh, conviction or commission. For them, it is their conviction. Total conviction. To see the Islamic State and what you know, everything. I said that's when I added the constructive and destructive. But I said, to them let's keep going with that, because
0: to them, to ISIS. Yeah. It it requires some destroying in order to build, you know, a perfect world, which they are doing very constructively. Like their view is yeah.
1: just stay on that. On that thing is perception. The largest amount of people in the world. How are you perceived? How many people are being killed? Violence, destruction, all kinds of things. So is that constructive or destructive? I mean,
0: I think it's destructive, but I would let's let's bring it to an
1: organization just
0: like Peter, with you.
1: Just imagine the rest of the population of the world. I dare say, uh, 99% of the Muslims, they believe that that is destructive. That is not the path. That is not deadly. I would agree. This is my conviction. Right. And a chairman, Dr. Alisa, you know, he, he, the, he has been a former minister from Saudi Arabia. He's a chairman now of the, uh, you know, Muslim World League. He is chairing the Responsible Leaders Summit. He has come out very strongly. He's saying. If you commit violence in the name of Islam, you are not a Muslim. Right? Did you ever hear that? Or coming and making a statement that how can you ever deny the Holocaust? Right. And he wrote a he wrote a great and
0: we can link to this article, uh, an op ed in Newsweek. That's right. uh, That um, where he really talked about uh, Muslim Jewish relations and and the importance of of Muslims respecting the Jewish religion and and coexistence and. Uh, and, and he kind of wrote very powerfully about that. In the- you know,
1: you just think for a moment. The media has just focused on some of the wrong things which have happened uh, to, related to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, there are some wonderful people like Dr. Alisa who are making every effort towards rapprochement, towards uh, bringing communities together, and traditionally there has been so much conflict and tension between the Muslim and Jewish. And he says, how can we uh, you know, allow this to happen? We must bring our communities together, forge closer ties. It takes a a certain amount of courage. So going back to our center is any of these decisions that you make, it has to come from a position of deep courage, deep conviction. Right, so what happens when in in an organization,
0: for example, you have people who have different views, they are equally convicted, they have strong convictions, but they have very different views of what the future should look like. They're focused on the future, not the present. Yeah. They have very, very strong convictions. You know, they're not just doing convenience. Yeah. And in their views, they are um, both being constructive in terms of developing the kind of organization that other people, you know, that, that they want and that pe- they believe that people want, but they're at odds with each other. And how do you how do you um, kind of uh, bridge that gap? You've, you've spent your life bridging gaps. So how do you bridge that gap so that everybody kind of gets the same view of the future and is convicted in alignment? I mean, they have convictions in alignment.
1: I'm laughing because I'm reminded of a story, a dear rabbi, brother of mine told me. He says, Baba, there was one rabbi who was stranded on an island and for years nobody discovered him. After many years when they discovered him and people saw there were two houses of worship, and they said, Rabbi, you are one person, why two houses of worship? He says, this one is for me, that's for my enemy. That is yes. the state of our being. We are in conflict within ourselves constantly. It is very good to be in conflict within ourselves. Provided we can learn from the experiences and make decisions this, which are based on the collective good for the majority of the people. I'm, there will never be a utopia that everybody will agree to everything.
0: And isn't that the great challenge though of defining the collective good?
1: Absolutely, that's why we always say, you know, there are two, two conditions here, two fundamental things. One is adequate knowledge. Many a time we do not have adequate knowledge And based on the limited knowledge we have, we make decisions. Right. Second thing, and which is, to my mind, is the greatest impediment to our decision-making is oftentimes, especially us people in leadership, get involved and stuck into our heads with our egos. We have decided that's the right way. I don't care what happens to anybody else. I'm just going to stay with it. So, you know, I was asked by a journalist after some difficult uh, meetings, I'd come back and said, you know, It's not easy, you know, and the thing for me is always to work with those people who I do not agree with. I want to see what are the challenges. So one of the principles which I learned and, you know, God bless his soul from my former mentor, the the UN secretary, Kofi Annan, he, he said, you have to listen with your entire body, not just with your ears. Oftentimes, just having the patience to listen, allowing the person to express themselves, that they are heard, then will give you a better understanding and also build certain trust. So we have to be very methodical and patient if we want to become see any change. These things are not going to happen overnight. Right. So we are not like, while we are absolutely focused on immediate results, we do want to see some immediate uh, changes, but we must keep our eye on the ball for the long term as well and see how we can bring them into some kind of a, rapprochement or cohesion.
0: Just to end, can you share a brief story of someone who went from not being a responsible leader, from being an irresponsible leader, to becoming a responsible leader? I'd love to hear the transformation. And I know it's a challenge when I say brief because that could be a long story.
1: You know, the person who I've been blessed to meet many very important people or the people who are perceived to be important. And I met almost every one of the major religious leaders of the world, many of the political leaders. I've been in a room with 150 heads of state, right? but the one person who stands out most in my memory in terms of transformation is President Nelson Mandela. Look what he was before he went into the Robben Island. You know, He was following a path of violence, they, were, they had the ANC which was trying to free them, they were committing lots of acts of violence. After 27 years of being in Robben Island, he comes out and what was his first statement, if you remember? As I was saying the other day, the man was not bitter about all the atrocities committed on him. He said, as I was saying the other day, and he just transformed the way South Africa was. Look what it, what he's remembered for now. Does anybody remember him to be a terrorist? Up till, I think, 2005, he was on the terrorist watch list of our country. He could not get here.
0: And what do you understand to be the pivotal, transformational... I mean, he spent 27 years in jail. So hopefully there's an easier path to going from, you know, not responsible to responsible. What's maybe a key that you can share that can that kind, of, kind of help us make that same kind of shift?
1: Uh, reflection. We must constantly reflect on our actions and what the implications will be on our actions on the future. He, in those 27 years, to my mind, he read a lot, he learned a lot. He understood more about Mahatma Gandhi, who was from South Africa. He understood sorry, Martin Luther King to become the Nelson Mandela that he became. So he said, the path that we've been following is obviously not bringing in results. Maybe we need to try something different. And, and the famous rugby game, right, in which he, there was so much tension between the whites and the blacks, you know, apartheid, South Africa and he came onto the pitch himself there were threats on his life but he had the courage he did not have a, you know take the convenient way out he was that was his conviction he went out onto the pitch and look what happened thereafter
0: Bawa Jane, thank you so much. Uh, Bawa Jane, with some others, is launching the new Leadership Center.
1: Please visit www.thecra.org. We'll,
0: we will put that. We will put that link in the show notes. The Center for Responsible Leadership. You know, it's uh, your are a blessing to have with us, and and to be doing the work that you're doing. So thank you.
1: We thank need you. your help. Get the message out. Get more people involved. We want every person in the world, and everybody's a leader. for themselves to analyze and think, are they being responsible leaders, contributing positively to society?
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.